This is Nightwatch, reporting from New York, Travis Marshall. Tonight, more on the news that has rocked Manhattan, if not the world. Welcome to our news section, and wow, a little bit of news I think we should discuss briefly. I'm your co-host, Greg Wachanski, and joining me is my partner in crime, co-host Jennifer L. Anderson. That's me again. As we're recording this, a couple days ago, news dropped that Atomic Monster with James Wan and uh, Gary Doberman are going to be developing a live-action Gargoyles TV series for Disney+. And that is really, at this point, all we know. That's Yeah, there's there's not much information that, that um, everybody had the same, all the news outlets had the same exact thing to say about it. There was a lot of the fans out there uh, doubting um, whether it was even real because we got we've gotten hamstrung with uh, April Fool's jokes in the past. And there's been, you know, a couple of times where they've tried to put a movie together and, and it's it's never come to fruition. So I definitely there was a lot of people just not um, believing it. Uh, and then when reputable s- sources were starting to uh, comment on it, um, uh, so you know it's there. It's whether whether we get a series because we <laughs> seem to be kind of cursed. On <laughs> um, whenever you add live action to gargoyles, uh, it seems to not happen. But um, uh, I was shocked that it was going to be a series and we weren't going to try the movie thing again. And um, I'm sure they're just in development hell right now. And then, you know, nothing is really solid. Otherwise they would have given us more, I think. Yeah. And also if I were to guess, assuming the SAG strike ends tomorrow, which it's not going to 2026 at the earliest, I think these things take a long time to put together. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, uh, there was a lot of mixed emotions from the fandom. Um, but I really just, I would ask everyone to just wait, just wait. We don't know what this is going to be. We don't know what it's going to look like. I I think we just need to, to wait and see. It's a wait and see thing. Exactly. And I understand the reactions out there are mixed. I mean, they always are when something like this happens, but, um, I think, especially if you're if you love gargoyles, if you want to help gargoyles, if you want to help this franchise. If you want to be picky, we won't get anywhere. Let's try to focus on the big picture, Goliath. So take this opportunity and use it. Spread the word about the I comic mean, books right now. We know so little. Like, don't don't hamstring it before it happens, and use it as to as a launching pad to just get the word out there on the things that we do have already the comics and the and the figures and stuff like that the thing the video game um just you know use it as a launch pad to promote um and uh the things that already exist because i'll say one thing streaming the show keep streaming keep binging gargoyles it's working. Disney's taking advantage of this stuff. We've got the game. We've got the figures. We've got the comics. We, they're talking about this thing. I mean, who knows what else we might get? Yep. 
we'll bring news as we get it. As we get it. Keep I, if you guys don't follow us like on our Twitter, we're on Blue Sky. Just find us on the internet. We always, if there's news about gargoyles, we're gonna ha- be talking about it there. So we are, and also spread the word on this podcast because our Twitter jump has gone up significantly in these past few days. We have so many new followers. So spread the word about us. So hi, new followers. Hi. <laughs> we hope you like it. And we understand that because of this news specifically, this might be the first show you're listening to. So join us for our coverage now on Avalon Part 2. This has been Nightwatch. Sleep well. The story is told, though who can say if it be true, of a clan of medieval warriors awoken in modern-day Manhattan, of the animated series that told their story. It is an age of darkness. Superstition and the sword rule. It is an age of fear. It is the age of gargoyles. Welcome to Voices from the Eerie, a Gargoyles podcast. Welcome back, Gargoyles fans, to another episode of Voices from the Eerie, a Gargoyles podcast. I am your co-host, Greg Bashansky, and joining me is my co-host and partner in crime, Jennifer L. Anderson. Hello. And rejoining us is the co-producer of the series, Mr. Frank Parr. Howdy. And we also have, as usual, the supervising producer of the first two seasons, the co-creator of the series, and the and the uh, writer of the Dynamite comic books, Mr. Greg Wiseman. Hello. And we are very happy to have with us for the first time another producer on the series, director and producer, like Frank, Mr. Dennis Woodyard. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. We're very glad to have you. Um, before we start asking about, you know, why a third producer was added, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background. What got you into the business and how did you come to Gargoyle? Oh, geez, you're asking me to stretch back since I'm older than these guys. <laughs> um, well, I started, I went to School of Visual Arts in New York uh, back in the 70s. I started doing graphic animation at a school. Um, doing like TV commercial uh, graphics and also funky record spots. I can tell you, well, you can go to my uh, YouTube channel. You can see all the old record spots I used to do and moved into animation. And in the mid eighties, I got a job with um, another show called <laughs> one of my first, my first series was uh, galaxy Rangers, the adventures of the galaxy Rangers. Um, and after that, I got the uh, job with Thundercats, with Rankin and Bass of Thundercats. Um, and they, I was there on the last season, which I ended up doing, um, designing all the secondary characters for the last 30 shows. And I wrote two episodes. One of my two only animation writing credits was for Thundercats. One called uh, Shadow Master, and the other one was called um, Well of Doubt. Um, then I got married in 72. I'm telling you that because in 92, when I got married, my wife and I um, vacationed in Hawaii. And on the way back, we came through L.A. And uh, producer Will Minio from Exo Squad, I interviewed with him. He asked me to be an overseas animation director the following year on Exo Squad for the first year. 
I we lived in Korea for six months. The second season, we we're waiting to get the second season together. And he said, would you like to go back to Korea? I said, no. He said, OK, come to California. <laughs> we'll give you a job on the second year. So I was, that's when I became um, co-producer and that job on the second year Exo Squad. When Exo Squad finished, Frank needed somebody to come on for <laughs> as another director. And I got hired with Disney. So that's how that happened. They just keep scooping you up? Yep. And then after Gargoyles, Frank grabbed me again for Man in, Man in Black for the first season. So there you go. Awesome. I wrote a couple of those. Yep. Yep. And I had worked on a couple other shows after that. Uh, one that no one knows about anymore is um, First of Bond Entertainment was uh, NASCAR Racers, which Frank did the opening um, storyboard for. He's laughing because he knows. I was like the sixth, I think, the sixth director that, you know, that they took. Everybody else didn't want to do the show. Dennis will do it. Dennis. I was working for him already on a show called uh, uh, Bad Dog. And I wanted to do a racing show. I didn't mind it. But everybody else who were into superheroes and action adventure, they all turned it down. But I got it. And I loved it. Of course, it's never, we did two seasons. It's not going to see light of day because Disney bought Saban and that show is buried because they have, Disney has cars. Why are they going to resurrect a racing show? So, but also, I still it was, it was partially CGI too. Oh, yes. It was, we did um, early, one of those early, early ones. CGI. So it was really a lot of it's kind of funky, but the cars look good um, when we did 2D characters. And our characters we kept simple, almost like a GI Joe styling. But um, as a NASA, flying cars in it, they were flying upside down. Um, it was supposed to be NASCAR, but they were driving in deserts and Hot Wheels. Yeah, Hot Wheels. It basically was a Hot Wheels show, um, and they were doing in in snow. They were doing in jungles. Uh, yeah, it was pretty ridiculous, but we had fun. We had fun. That makes it worth it. Yep, definitely. Uh, before we move on, just want to say, and I and I know Jennifer recently we talked about this a little bit before the rec- we started recording, but we loved Exo Squad. Oh, good. Uh, thank you. Huge Exo Squad fans. Well, like I said, I just been putting some of that stuff on my uh, YouTube channel, so you can go there and look at it. Excellent. Cool. We should get that link from him and post it with the. I'll send it to you. We okay. should. We will. <laughs> Excellent. All right. So, um, and Greg and Frank, from your perspective, do you remember uh, bringing Dennis on? I mean, adding a third director and a third producer to the series. Yeah, of course. I mean, we went season one, we did 13 episodes. Season two, we did 52 episodes. We needed help. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, just as we added, uh, three story editors. We had Michael Reeves and we added Bryn uh, Chandler Reeves and we added Gary Sperling and Carrie Bates. We also added Dennis and then a bit later, uh, Bob Klein. Right. And, and Butch Luchik did uh, one episode, directed one episode for us. Um, there was just no way for Frank to direct 52 episodes in 10 months <laughs> somehow even for Frank, that was anybody would like what they looked like <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's crazy. i you know i've 
I'm, I'm looking through some of this, trying to refresh my memory of these shows because you lose so much of it after doing so many different things. I keep going, God, I wish we really could have had the time we had on season one. You know, I, it just, they're just things that polish really that I really would have liked to have done with timing and stuff like that. But uh, we just didn't have that luxury. You know, we just, we just had to shoot it as we saw it. You know, we, I, 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 for myself, I was pretty burnt out by the time we finished. (laughs) It was a lot. I think I did 20 of them the second season. Um, That was a lot of work. Juggling four or five shows at the same time in different stages of development. Um, Right. Yeah, there's a lot of leapfrogging going on in that show. Mm hmm. But we had a good crew. I mean, I got to say, we had a very talented crew. Uh, like Don uh, Cameron, I keep in touch with, and the storyboard guys were really good. Yeah, we had an extraordinary people on the show, um, and the schedule proceeded to murder them all. Um, <laughs> but Fuller, uh, especially, I mean, he yeah. had to do so much heavy lifting with the designs. Yeah, Greg uh, was and is a champ. But yeah, it was it was hard. It was hard going. <laughs> um, uh, I think this episode has one of the sort of classic moments of behind the scenes burnout um, represented in it, which I don't know if you two guys remember, but I remember very clearly. <laughs> um, at the we had the script done, and so you know. Um, from my point of view, once the script is locked, it's like, okay, it's done. You know, uh, I, I don't want to deal with that script. <laughs> and Frank and Dennis came into my office and, um, and Frank, uh, was like, uh, the script isn't working, you know? And, and, um, and he was really angry and Dennis is great. Dennis is like trying to keep us cool. I just seemed like I was angry. <laughs> right. You just seemed angry. So as you seemed angry, I got angry seemingly too. <laughs> and Dennis is trying to keep the two of us from exploding. And and we're just and one thing I will say is that you know it the anger was coming out of exhaustion, honestly. It was just coming out of how fried everybody was by the schedule. But all we all all we wanted to do is make it better so he's saying you know there's not even a fight on the beach frank <laughs> says and i'm like well we can do a fight on the beach oh okay <laughs> and then dennis is like okay we can do a fight on the beach <laughs> and we're all like oh okay yeah just, we'll just do a do fight it. on the beach <laughs> and now i can't imagine that episode without that fight on the beach yeah but yeah it was all this big energy and all we really needed was to have a little conversation. But I think that long conversation. <laughs> I think that just that's what the schedule was doing to us, you know, is that um, we just felt beat up, not by each other, but, but just by the, we, we the feel, pace of the thing. Fell victim to, uh, our own creativity. We wanted to do the best on the show. We really 
everybody went all out on it. Disney didn't give a shit. Get it done. <laughs> shit it out. Oh, yeah. yeah. Pretty much what it was. Uh, I mean, it's that one cartoon Ted Blackman did where Michelangelo was painting Sistine Chapel and and the Pope's down there and he says, I don't care, just shut it out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's kind of how it all comes <laughs> on. We had a couple uh, of moments like that. But, you know, with, with, with experience behind us, I mean, yeah, you get that way, but you have to understand when to let go of stuff and... Uh, you look at what is important. It's not just what is in front of you. It's taking a look, a, a look at the whole picture and then making your decisions on where to spend most of your time. Back then, again, they just, it was like, it was like a race and you're yeah. you know, running a, not even a marathon because you have time to think you're running a sprint and all you're doing, your muscle memory is just racing down there and you're not doing a lot of thinking. You're just, if it's there, you take care of it. If it's there, you take care of it. You, you go all out. And eventually you run out of steam. Or you blow up. So no, you're, telling, you're telling us, Frank, that you don't shit out masterpieces? Is that what you're saying right now? <laughs> <laughs> not really. Not lately. No. Well, it was an era of, of, again, we were just doing everything on film. So, um, right. the English terms. Sorry. And, and, <laughs> There were there were times where one of the things that I had to go through was in doing retakes. We had a bad studio that was doing it wasn't this show, but one of the other episodes. I particularly remember I got called on the carpet for calling too many retakes. Oh yeah, and I, I had to have Tom Zrzika and um, who's the other exec sit with Lenora me. They called retakes. Barbara Farrow. Barbara Farrow. They're saying you're calling too many retakes, and I had to show them that at that time when you're on film. You didn't have digital cleanup. And the, the studio we right. were using was, it was dirty. You could see the dirt crossing the screen as you watched it. I had to make a turn to them and say, look, you hired me to be Disney quality, give you a Disney quality show. Is that dirt going across the screen, Disney quality show? And they had to say no. But, you know, it's like, okay, fine. Leave me alone and let me finish the job. <laughs> But I, it, I that's what happened. Those episodes, there are some episodes that they were using recycled cells. Yeah. Well, because when they cleaned the old stuff off, it would leave a lot of scratches. Right. They would deny it, of course, but it was pretty obvious. You yeah. Know. So I add that on top of just the creative side of it. And now you can see why we were a little crazy by the end. <laughs> easy part. You know, post was the easy part. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Getting the material ready to send to overseas, and then overseas had their own particular uh, problems that they had to deal with. Right. We tried to make things as complete as possible for overseas, so they would make as few mistakes as possible. But uh, the, the thing to remember, even about Post, is that because of the nature of having so many episodes in play simultaneously, we were doing Post on episodes that were you know the furthest along while simultaneously you know uh episodes were being animated overseas while simultaneously other episodes were racing through pre-production to get 
design packets and storyboards and X sheets and everything done to ship overseas while simultaneously recording voices for other episodes while simultaneously, and you'll think I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. We were still writing scripts. Um, And for the, you know, the last chunk of episodes and literally every step, every single step in the production process, short of developing the show and selling it to Michael Eisner was all being done literally at the same time on different episodes and right. and multiple ones in play all at the same time. So A, that's one of the reasons why, yeah, we had four story editors and three and a half uh, on-site directors, why we had overseas you know, uh, Walt Disney uh, Television Animation Japan plus Coco doing episodes plus all these subcontractors everywhere from Korea to China to Brazil. One episode was was done, at least chunks of it in Brazil, I remember. Um, and, and all of this happening at the same time. Um, so that, and I had a, just to make life a little more complicated, I had a new baby <laughs> at home. Um, likewise, she's getting married in two weeks, but uh, that's how much time has passed. But, uh, but at the time, she was literally an infant, and we're trying to do all this stuff. So the notion of sleep, sort of, yeah, forget about that. <laughs> <laughs> Because we're taking the work home, we're staying late at the office. Um, you know, it's uh, it was crazy times, and the fact, honestly, that the show holds up as well as it does. Uh, I mean, there's no doubt we have some gorgeous episodes. Even in season two, we have some gorgeous episodes, and we have some that that uh, well, you know, not necessarily so much, you know, um, and even in the ones that are pretty good, there are always a moment here or there where you just are cringing, um, when you rewatch it on screen, but overall, um, it's a tribute to these two guys and to everyone else who worked on the show that the show looks as great as it does, that it holds up as well as it does over going on 30 years now close to um because everyone without a doubt and and this is what i meant even by opening this whole thing with a story of us fighting with each other everyone cared so much it was always just about the work you know how can we make it better how can we within the realm of our uh, you know, corporate overlords and, and and the time constraint and all that kind of stuff. How do we make this show as good as we can possibly make it? And so any fights that we ever had was they weren't about they weren't about personalities. They weren't about anything other than how do we make it better? And the fact that we were fighting at all was really just a result, again, of flat out exhaustion. But I will say that um, of the three of us, the guy who always maintained his cool wasn't Frank Parr or Greg Weissman. <laughs> I am shocked. I am shocked to hear this. Yeah, I know you're shocked. Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> I always felt like Dennis 
was the grown up in the room. <laughs> <laughs> the older guy, hey, I had to be. <laughs> they didn't leave any room to be. So I, that was my lane, you know? Nice. Before we dive into episode discussion, I understand Dennis, you brought some show and tell. For our Patreons, you'll get to see this. And for those of you who are not on Patreon, well, we're going to post them on our show notes, screenshots in our show notes, as well as uh, on our Twitter account. So follow us there and take a look. I just happen to have something in a folder that called Loose Ends, and it had to be like, okay, Orion's Castle. Oberon. Oberon's Castle. Oberon's Palace, yeah. Yeah, and, house. And that's beautiful. Um. Somehow I get this from production. <laughs> but uh, snuck out with it. <laughs> hey, it was just in my folder. The weird sisters for us. Ooh, and chains. Uh, and this was a, what would you call the medallion? That was the Phoenix Gate. Uh, Phoenix, Phoenix Gate. Gate. They yeah. did, to make sure the animation company got it right, these guys did color models of the transition that explained how it animated. This was went over. I mean, I looked at this episode today, and they got this really, got this to a T. There was some early Oberon. I think, Frank, you might have done this. Wow. <laughs> this one, there was one of the early Fosberg. designs. That Mike Fosberg, that doesn't look like one of mine. Oh, yeah, maybe it's Fosberg. I brought Mike in because, you know, I wanted medieval feel to things. Right. Out of that research and stuff. This looks more like uh, Jack Kirby's uh, Tiana. Titania. Titania. Titania, yeah. It was an early one, but it looks like it's like Jack Kirby's uh, Forever. That's closer to the the final Titania we got than that Oberon was to the final Oberon we got, though. (laughs) Here's a a fun one for you. This is one I did. Looks like uh, David Bowie. (laughs) Nice. Dance, magic, dance. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> those so are that, great. That's all I'm really great. With right now, but I can send you some of those separately. I oh. could hold up designs that I did, but they'd look strangely like stick figures. <laughs> <laughs> strangely, for some reason. <laughs> nice. Well, we definitely do appreciate that. Okay, I guess we can end up badly drawn stick figures. <laughs> Not even a good stick figure, just a bad one. Where is that arm coming out of? I don't understand. <laughs> Doesn't arms don't come out of the head, Greg? Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, when we discussed part one last time, Greg told us his perspective on why they you guys did this three parter, developing this three parter. But let's talk a little bit about the production of this three of this three parter, particularly this episode. We talked about the fight, but uh, Dennis Frank, do you remember? The process of putting together Avalon. I remember a lot of the character design. Well, we're introducing a lot of new characters here too. Well, I, I was going to say earlier. I mean, Avalon was 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 particular interest because, from a design standpoint, it's it's a bit different because you're introducing the world of, of a fairy, and that has to have its own personality. It's like we had the medieval, which you know, which. You know, was, was was earthy and dark. Uh, you know, and just simplistic to the bone. 
And then you had that as contrast to the streets and spires of New York in modern society. And then we have Avalon, which is kind of medieval, but not. It's more fantasy. I guess you'd call it Izuke if you were an, an anime fan. Yeah. But And with that, you have a lot of those strange outfits and things, which I didn't want the types we had in medieval gargoyles. I wanted something more uh, mythological or, uh, I don't know, provocative in some cases. Right, although we didn't, this wasn't the episode where we introduced Oberon into Tanya and all those uh, right. Oberon's children. This is the one where we introduced the weird uh, sisters. The weird sisters we had met earlier, uh, but we did introduce Angela and Gabriel and all right. the Avalon clan of gargoyles. Right. Some of those models, I feel like, were reused from the pilot. Oh. But some of them were like Ophelia's model, Gabriel's model, uh, Angela's model. Those, uh, Boudica, those were brand new. Um, so there was a mix in there of, of uh, reuse models for the sort of gargoyles that we kept in the background. <laughs> right. uh, or injured on a pot, you know. Um, a mixture of, of those and some really fantastic new models um well we had I, I, angela's it was the primary one right through, through the rest of the seas she was new yeah right the one thing i knew i wanted for angela was that ponytail that's got uh that's tied near the top of her head and then tied twice yeah because Guler had drawn a version of Demona early on. Uh, I think before Frank was involved in the show, when we were still trying to sell it to Eisner, um, that had that ponytail. And I liked that ponytail. And when Frank came on, he wanted to give Demona what we now call Demona hair. Uh, you know, that really aggressive, um, <laughs> you know, hairdo that she has, uh, which we all love. But there was something about that ponytail that I found interesting. I thought, okay, this is great because Angela's going to look a bit like Demona with Goliath's coloring, but stylistically, she's a very different. She has a very different personality. So I thought, let's go back to that double-tied ponytail for Angela. Um, and uh, so I know Guler did the Angela model, but I don't, I'm not sure if he did. Like Ophelia and Gabriel and Boudica, or, or some of those were Vosberg, or we had other guys who worked on characters too. I can't remember. Well, Greg and Mike were the main two in season two. Normally, what would the process would be is anything new, predicting in the medieval. I I would kick out ideas, rough ideas, and Greg would take them and make them look great. Uh. And it would go off to, again, my Vosberg, I kind of kept with, with uh, the medieval. And then we had a lot of other people just trying to keep the uh, uh, machine going. Keep the machine going. But I wanted to keep those worlds all unique. And I, I tried to keep the artists confined to that that area, the car concentration on, on a certain area. So it would have, those worlds would have that uniqueness to them. 
and then Greg Guler, yeah, you know, I, he, he could just pretty much do anything though, but, uh, uh, you can't do it all. Yeah. Yeah. And this show has just a tremendous amount of characters and you never, you know, they're all interesting. They're all great characters too. I mean, they all stand the test of time for most of them. Again, you always try to give it your all. Do you, do you remember, I think we had a problem with, um, was it Oberon's cat, uh, palace? It seems that went through a lot of uh, different changes. Yeah, um, you know, we doing it. I have a vague memory that we wanted to make sure that it didn't look Alice like the- looked more fantasy like as opposed to, you know, Castle Wyvern. Right, right. That was more like uh, medieval construction, you know, that, that, um, that we wanted uh, on Avalon, Oberon's palace, which does premiere in this episode. Oberon doesn't, but his palace yeah. does. Um, uh, we wanted it to have a real more fantasy flavor. Um, whereas I feel like when we did Castle Edinburgh during City of Stone, when we did uh, um, Castle Wyvern, um, when we did Castle Moray, all those Scottish castles, we were going for. I can't remember now how accurate we were, but we wanted to feel like we were accurate. We wanted to feel like accurate on a lot of that stuff. We did yeah. a lot of re- Edinburgh was very accurate because Edinburgh still exists. So it was easy to sort of extrapolate backwards what Edinburgh Castle looked like then based on what it still looks like. It's a little tougher with Castle Moray, which hasn't existed for <laughs> 852 years or something like that. Um, and Castle Wyvern, which is a, we made up. So, um, but, you know, but the idea was even for the ones that we completely made up, let alone the ones that were completely historical, like Edinburgh, um, we wanted to at least have the feeling like uh, of this feels real. This feels like, you know, men and gargoyles built it they they you know carried the stones in and they built it with their hands you know kind of thing but with oberon's palace we wanted it to feel almost as if matt this was created by magic you know um and have that contrast it was more, it was more of hogwarts in a way where it had yeah. a lot of fantasy elements into it incorporated it uh i mean i looking at stuff now i would say geez it, again I probably would have gone in and started looking at a lot of the uh, Moorish designs from the, from that age. They were so much more elaborate than everything that Europeans were doing at the time. Uh, very precise, beautiful. Uh, there is there is a strong aesthetic to it, and that's what we were trying to do, trying to come up with. But yeah, I I, I remember you know when we were doing designing Castle Liver and the you know, the interior and such because we had to have that strong comparison with with uh medieval and after xanatos got through with it right and trying to incorporate that and even though when we went back to the middle ages time we saw it you know the great hall was basically there's hay everywhere you had the big dogs and this is what it was it was a, it was a feasting room and then when we saw xanatos you know we you know it was all cold stone and steel and colors and everything it was very unfriendly compared with 
the original, which was actually a very friendly looking place. And, and that was to, you know, to, to play off the characters that we were playing off, you know, the, uh, the princess and the billionaire. So there, there was a lot of stuff like that when we were going into the, 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 the other castles. It's the same thing, trying to find a personality that matched the architecture. There's also some interesting character stuff in, um, well, in the last episode with um, Tom, the guardian. Right. Um, but in this episode with Princess Catherine and, and the Magus, you're taking three characters who we knew from previous episodes but like and aging them 50, 60 years, you know, so that um, Tom is now uh, goes from being, I don't know, like a, a eight year old kid. I actually have all these numbers written down, but last time I tried to find it, I wasn't able to do it when I wanted to. But Tom goes from being more or less an eight year old kid to being like 58. And um, Princess Catherine goes from being 18 to 68. And the Magus goes from being you know, 28 to 78 or something like that. Um, so I thought, um, I'm assuming that was Guler, um, but I don't know. Uh, but but uh, aging those three up, you know, so that the audience really felt like, oh yeah, that's them. Um, and clothing helped as a signifier, at least for Catherine and, and Magus. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you wanted it to be at least as believable as a live action show where they're, you know, casting two actors, you know, to, to play these characters at different times. But, and we had the advantage, uh, not with Tom, but with, uh, you know, it's still Jeff Bennett playing the Magus, but he's putting that age into his voice It's still Kath Susie playing Catherine, but she's putting that age into the voice. And of course those two, were our Magical. rocks yeah. of uh, uh, of the of our voice cast. I mean, uh, uh, we had great guests, great regulars, but time in and time out, uh, Jeff and Kath on the male and female side were just the people we relied on to just be able to pull it out, you know, at well, an, that, in that's an instant. Something, that's something I really remember from this uh, the Avalon shows. I think it's even this one. I, I didn't go to too many recording sessions because just couldn't have three of us out of the office at the same time. But I remember being in one of the sessions where she was doing the six female voices at one in one session. And it was just amazing to see that and hear yeah, that. Yeah, she'd do three weird sisters. Right. And Princess Catherine. Right. Um she she must have done and the mother. And oh um, yeah, Mary. Yeah, she uh-uh. it was like and I know she, I think I know I put her up for for an Emmy nomination for voice because, like, you can't ignore this. No, she's epic. Yeah. That was my one of my strongest memories from that. Those, those oh, and she was Ophelia shows. also. Ophelia, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's on top of her also in different episodes playing Maggie the Cat and various other minor characters. But, um, but yeah, you know, in this episode, she's Ophelia, she's Princess Catherine, and she's three weird sisters. Right. Um, and then in the one episode previous, she wasn't Ophelia because Ophelia is not in that episode, but she's Mary. Um, 
so again, we have that huge advantage. And then I think the, the clothing continuity helps us out. But I also think those designs, uh, particularly on the Magus and Catherine, um, just do an amazing job. And, and it seems like, well, of course, you know, they just look older, but that's hard to do, um, you know, to, to just take a design and say, we want this character to still look enough like the character that it feels right, but we want them to age up. And so it isn't just about putting a couple wrinkle lines in, you know, you really got to change them. Um, and that sounds obvious. And yet it, it is a nuancey kind of thing that I, uh, you know, that I'm just immensely, impressed with you know um uh at, at how that was achieved because i just think it works really great uh, tom's a slightly different deal because tom was such a little kid right. now you've got an adult so you want to have some continuity there but he's wearing armor and all this stuff it it, it doesn't need to look a, a, quite the same uh Mm -hmm. it's a different challenge it's not easy but it's a different kind of challenge i think than than catherine and magus are. and uh um it just uh you know there are aspects of that that uh little things like that that still blow me away when i rewatch. like i rewatched the episode last night for the first time in i don't know a decade um and uh you know it's tiny things like that where i'm like wow um even with all, as fast as we were moving and, and all the moving parts on gargoyles. And believe me, there were a lot of moving parts on gargoyles. I'm like, well, we got that, that one, that one we got, you know, <laughs> nailed um, it. Definitely. Uh, uh, a little bit of fan commentary now. And Jen, I'm curious as to what you think. Um, oh boy. A new character, a new regular was introduced here. And we're definitely going to dive into that. And sometimes on so many shows, especially back in the day, that can be a um, that can be a, a big risk you can take. What was your re reaction to Angela and her joining the main cast? My reaction the the second Elisa says she looks kind of like Demona, <laughs> you're like, and her name's Angela. I think we know who that one belongs to. <laughs> but I was excited to see. You Okay, I got to tell you, honestly, Ophelia has my heart. She was my favorite of all the new ones that we found here. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was obvious who she was. And I was so excited to have more female garg gargoyles on, on our radar. And was just, uh, other than, you know, Demona, who just wanted to kill them all. So um, really was happy to just meet all of, everyone on the uh on avalon Agreed. i think also for us we were very aware that we had way too many guys on the show and not enough girl mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and that we needed to do a little work to sort of create some more balance and um well it was very much a time when you know the the girl action figures got the short pack they were short packed yeah. you know that's there was a token girl on the show, you know, and that was it, you know, April O'Neil and Demona, you know, that was it. That's what we had. So, um, 
shows that that brought more in always and it's better now it's still not great it's better now um but i would like to i i was just jazzed that we got more more Me ladies too. and especially i really loved ophelia's design just because she wasn't your just standard uh it's a human with some funny feet and a tail you know um really loved how different she looked yeah it's really cool yeah. design i agree but my- you were asking about did, um, so my question for both mm-hmm. of you greg and jennifer is so we get a brief glimpse of angela last episode this episode we get to meet her a little bit more but did you think that she was going to become a regular like did you or did you think mm-hmm. okay because uh, we were meeting 30 gargoyles did you i mean did you think they were all coming back or did you what it, I, i'm just curious what you're if you can remember it's hard now because you've seen the show many times since then but um at the time were you thinking that uh i had to be thinking there's no in? way that we were going to meet goliath and demona's daughter and she wasn't going to be more involved i didn't think she'd be on every you know like part of the the clan that we had already but i thought we would see more of her than just this bunch of episodes agreed although i was very pleasantly surprised at the end of part three when she joins them on the skiff i don't know quite what i was expecting but i figured as soon as elisa pointed it out and then goliath kind of gave his answer to that there's and even then then I was younger than them, but still, there's too much dramatic potential here. There's just no way she's going to be a bit or occasional player. I don't know if I expect her to be a main character, but I knew something had to be coming with her. And I love the character. I really do. I mean, I mentioned before how introducing new characters is a double-edged sword. I mean, Scrappy-Doo is probably the most infamous case of a bad example. I mean, to the point where The Simpsons even famously did that Poochie episode and... um which I think is kind of a lazy way of looking at things. It's all about how well you construct the character. And and it helped that this character came with creative conviction from you guys. Not that she was, oh, the network wants to see this, or we want to hit this demographic. No, this is something that you all wanted to do. Well, it's just like the, like the you got to sitcoms that have been on the air uh, you know a while and they would we need to liven this up and we'll throw a kid in with all the rest of them oh somebody will bring a kid in and then uh it it never makes the show any better like it it's i can't honestly think of any time i've ever went hey that was a good addition but uh so we're tossing a kid in this one but with better results it's a better character. It's more well. It's better thought out. And but one thing, great. you know, uh, we should, the design looks great. Um, not all the animation in this episode is fantastic, but it's not our worst. Um, but I also, you know, want to give credit to to Jamie Thomason and Brigitte Baco, who were. I mean, Bridget is fantastic in that voice, and we really. Um, Frank, I don't know if you remember this, but we really watched uh, Bridget sort of grow with oh, the role because yes. she hadn't done a lot of voice work before that. And um, she really um, grew into that part and quickly. I mean, really fast ramp up on it. Um, I remember the, I don't know if it was for this episode, but I remember um, the first time she had to growl. And, you know, so Keith is like trying to, 
teach her how to growl, you know? <laughs> um, and at first it's like, oh, that's not working out too well. But then by, you know, a few episodes in, she's growling with the best of them, you know, like a gargoyle. And um, uh, she was just really wonderful in the role. And what's interesting is, is that, you know, we had auditioned all the regulars back in season one. And from that point on, we didn't hold auditions anymore. We didn't have time. But Angela was important enough. And what's interesting also is that usually the reason you're auditioning is not for us. It's for the, the suits, right? Um, uh, they want to have input. And so they want to have three or four choices before they settle on someone. Um, and you've got to be careful that you're not giving them a choice that you couldn't live with because, oh, my God, what if they picked that one? <laughs> So, <laughs> I mean, I've been in a room where, uh, not on Gargoyles, but on another show, which I won't mention, where the producer had this brilliant idea, which I said, do not do this. Um, but he was determined. He he wanted to give the boss, uh, he wanted the boss to pick the, the person he wanted. So he gave the boss the person he wanted. And someone he thought was so awful as the only other choice that there was no way they the boss would go for it. And of course, the boss picked the one that he disliked. Um, his last possible choice. So we had to find a way to undo that without revealing what the, the con he had oh tried to pull. Um, but that wow. didn't happen on Cargoes. But what was interesting about Angela is that no one was paying attention to us, right, um, on season two. You know, they paid attention to whether we were making our dates, right, if, whether we were on target schedule-wise. But no one was paying attention to us creatively, honestly. Um, uh, not really. Um, partially because I had been an executive. So got, so our immediate boss was Jay Facuto and, and then Kim Christensen worked for Jay. And they were great. And I'd worked with them when I was an executive. And so they were, uh, I don't want to say cheerleaders because that sounds almost pejorative, but they they weren't sort of taking that traditional executive role of saying, you can't do that. You know, they were like, okay, yeah, to explain that to me. And we'd explain, they go, okay, that sounds good. And maybe they'd have a note here or there, but they weren't oppressive in any way. I, I think um, fortunate in that on this series. We, a lot of the... Uh, at least the ones that, that I dealt with, and you dealt with many more than I did. Uh, but they just wanted an explanation. They wanted a reasonable explanation so they could understand. Once they understood that, there was no issue with, with what we were doing. Right. But know, the thing on Angela part. was there was no one saying, you've got to audition this part. It's a new regular. Uh, we want five choices. This was us just going, this character is so important. We want to make sure we're getting the best possible person in that slot and so this is the only character that i can recall that we did auditions for after the original casting way back for the pilot um and so uh bridget you know won this role it wasn't like a lot of the like ruben santiago hudson i think is great as gabriel in this you don't see it that much in this episode, but in the one that follows and in a couple that follow that, you'll see him more. I think he's terrific, but that's one that Jamie and Frank and I just cast. Um, 
Ruben was doing a play seven guitars with Keith David and Keith said, you got to hear this guy. He's terrific. So, you know, we, uh, we just, you know, found a, a clip or something of him and listened to him and, and said, yeah, that's great. Let's cast him as Gabriel. There was no audition process there and it worked out terrific. But for Angela, we felt like, no, we need to get the best possible person in here. And Bridget won the role. Uh, it wasn't us giving it to her. She won it um, and was just, you she know, terrific. It's so wholesome and innocent. Yeah, absolutely. Character. And you just. But with a backbone. Yeah, but with a backbone. She could be, she could be mean, too, if she needed to. But, uh, I mean, she just owned it. I mean, she made the character. She made that character complete. Uh I can't think of it, of using anybody else but her in that. Nobody else could could do that. Could do that. Got lucky on a lot of these roles, but that was a good. That was a great casting. Uh, she was terrific. I suppose we should dive into this: the return of the Archmage and that really cool and for some people really confusing time loop. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what it was. It's the time loop that's throwing me off. Time loops always throw me off. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but we got did we got uh, yeah i mean i i i'm looking at this and i'm oh yeah we did use david warner as the art mage right anytime you can use david warner on anything doing well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well and david was one of the main inspirations for us even doing this arc we had cast david as the archmage in season one in a flashback and to be honest um, and this isn't a criticism of the script. It's just that it was a, a sort of underwritten cliche character serving a function in flashback scenes in the episode Long Way to Morning. And David was so good, created so much out of, frankly, so little in Long Way to Morning that we're like, I mean, I remember turning to Jamie and going, we got to bring this character back. And Jamie's like, you just killed him off. And I'm like, we'll figure that out later. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know exactly how I'm going to do it yet, but um, but it was just too good. And and the thing I remember about recording David for this episode specifically is is Jamie asking David, "Do you want to do all of one Archmage and then do all the other one?" Because we could edit that together. He's like, "No, no, I'll just I'll go back and back forth and between forth. the two characters." And he did just like, boom, 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 you know, talking to himself, doing the nuances of the guy who's got all this experience and uh, and none of the experience and and slowly catching up to the other guy um, and all the attitude back and forth. And he's just doing it. Uh, I don't want to, <laughs> you know, underplay Jamie's contribution because Jamie uh I, I hate saying this because he might hear it, but Jamie's fantastic. Um, Ew. But uh, <laughs> I don't want it to go to his head. How dare you? <laughs> but, uh, but honestly, here, this was just David and David. You know, David talks, David talks, and he's just doing it. And Jamie and I are sitting back like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and there's very distinct. They're, yeah, yeah, there's and yet it's the same voice. It's not like he's putting on one voice and doing another voice. It's the one same is just voice. really confident and like right. 
Yeah. It's just, so, and the lines uh, that Britt and Lydia wrote for him. I mean, that's, there's some great burns in this. <laughs> that he's saying <laughs> to himself and all this sort of really fun stuff, but he is just making the most. I mean, again, great uh, dialogue from the writer, uh, but then an actor just taking that um, uh, and, uh, and getting every ounce of attitude out of it that he can. It was just, um, you know, great. I love the design of the powered up archmage that we get with the three talismans. That was so clever. The skull cap with the, the gate on the uh, chest. Very Excalibur. <laughs> yes. Uh, Nicole Williamson is uh, Merlin in Excalibur. Merlin, Fantastic yeah. movie. Yeah. And, and just those black robes. Um, Frank Dennis, do you remember the process of designing this character? Was it either of you? Was it Greg Guler? Probably Greg Guler might have done it. Greg on that one. Yeah. yeah. I don't I don't recall much on that. I, I think we discussed uh the different things we wanted him to have, and that was pretty much it. But you know, that's why we had Greg. He could, you know, knock these things out. I remember we had to design a a special model for the Archmage when he eats the Grimorum. There was a, yeah. oh. a, a head shot. The unhinged jaw thing. The, yeah, yeah. The, the distended, yeah, unhinged jaw. And we had it swallowing the Grimorum pole. And I just I think, loved that. I loved And I mean, we had to decide what the, it, the best way to do it was be from a side shot. That way you don't get it like it's a big. His mouth would be really big or something, but doing it from the side, we could cheat, you know, and uh, that that sort of made it. Yeah, very effective. <laughs> uh huh. Anaconda Archmage. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm one of those people who never had an issue with the time loop. It always seemed very straightforward to me. But I know a lot of people found this one a little bit confusing. He was about to die. How does his future self come out of nowhere? And save him. That's my only problem with the time loop is how did the time loop start? How did how the Archmage start? get back to save the Archmage? Right. Once it starts, I get that it's going to go in a loop. But that starting... <laughs> Getting into the Mobius loop, uh, the paradox. Yeah. Paradox issues. But you know what? this point who cares as long as it's cool you know? it was, and it was very cool it was yeah. definitely you're very gonna, cool you're gonna argue about that when you accept all the start then you're fine you know you just roll with it yeah you're gonna argue about that you're gonna and, and take the the sand fight on the beach without <laughs> questioning it <laughs> in the end it came out well it did it all works. It's fine. Yep. It's just a loop. It's like taking a string, making a loop, and it goes like that. All good. <laughs> I, I love that the uh, our our souped up archmage that goes back and saves himself. It seems like he's so much wiser and he's got so much more experience. But I'm like, you just swallowed a book. It's been ten minutes. It's been ten minutes since you <laughs> saved yourself. <laughs> You swallow a book and now you're smart. Okay. <laughs> He's arrogant enough for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's the key to it is, 
is that he's so arrogant and narcissistic that having done what he's done, he assumes that he's all knowing now. In, in other words, it doesn't mean that he is all knowing. All it means is that he believes he he's all knowing. He's all knowing. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and there's enough conviction in the way David reads that that it plays, you know. Uh, I think that's how I feel about it. I also love the Chirons on this show. They they really uh, make me laugh because it's like okay, it's it's nine whatever nine eighty. It's nine seventy five or something like that, and then nine eighty four, nine eighty four, and then uh, ten twenty, and then it's like uh, six hours ago, six hours ago, <laughs> <laughs> and then one minute ago, and then now. <laughs> no, that that was fantastic. That was, that, to me, uh, that's probably me and Jeff Arthur in a online session doing that. Um, Jeff Arthur was our post-production uh, supervisor on the show and uh, and onlining is literally or at least back then was literally our last shot at tinkering with anything that you know and, and there's not a lot you can do at that stage but there are little things you can do um, color and uh, obviously I'm not the best person to be dealing with color but um <laughs> but uh, you know, there are little things we could do, but that was also where you know the chirons got put in. And so I feel like Frank, you would come and do a color pass, um, and then I would like yeah. do a last view and put the chirons in and that kind of stuff. That's kind of how I remember it going, but I don't know. It's so yeah, I I'd go through and do a major pass on everything, and then you would come in. And go over everything, and uh, you know, it was just a way of, of, of quality control, and right? Whatever you need to do. Yeah, uh, at, at at that stage, though, how doing color correction at that stage? How is that handled? Well, that stage, you know, it's not like today. That, I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, digit everything's so digital. You you can do so many things these days. When I was working on the Marvel shows, I I could do Wii retakes on my home on my computer, and and not even bother with overseas on stuff. Uh, but here, this is all film, you know, and it's it's color. You're limited to you know they had these machines I forgot what they called, but you go through and you could you could add uh, you still add kind of tonals on uh, the the. Uh, uh, if you if you look at some of the close-ups, you'll see that some of it's a little it gets a little dark, shady in one area. We could add like masks over the over the scenes. Uh, we could go through and tints, yeah, tints and things. We could do stuff like that, so it wouldn't be so flat. And you know, we could we could make sure all the colors are what they're supposed to be. You, you run the color tests and. Uh, some things would work, some things would not. We'd have some scenes because, again, film, uh, this is cell animation. The cells didn't, the under cells didn't match the upper cells. And so you got mm -hmm. shadows and things that we would have to go in and color correct. And again, this is the time where they just start to explore digital 
So we had means to fix some of that stuff. But very limited means. Even on Batman, we couldn't do we couldn't fix a lot of stuff because we didn't even have that digital stuff on Batman. You know, I think we, we just started de- dealing with a lot of this stuff. And and that even changed from the beginning of season one through the end of season two. I mean, when we did season one, for example, we were editing film on movieolas. Right. Um, by season two, we were editing on uh, Real. digitally. I forget the name of the machine or, or software. I used to know. I used to know a lot of things. Um, but we had gone from editing literally physically with cutting and splicing and all that kind of stuff on season one. All of season one was done on movieolas, all of it. None of season two was. Just in the what four months between season one and season two, Disney switched over to digital edit it between seasons for us. And th- that gave us at the time incredibly more uh flexibility um than we had had before. Um but nothing like what we have today at all. Very interesting. I love hearing this production stuff, but Circling back to the Archmage's arrogance, one of the things I love about this script is he keeps talking about this as my master plan, my master plan. He heard it from his future self, who heard it from his future self, who heard it from his future self, and so on (laughs) and so forth. It wasn't his idea to ally with the weird sisters. His future self told him to do it. It wasn't his idea to pick Demona or, or even Macbeth, who he has no connection to at all. His future self told him to do it. To do both of those. I mean, but I do love that recruitment spree he goes on, along with the Weird Sisters picking Macbeth and Demona as soldiers, and just see, seeing all of this come together in really clever ways. And we'll link to this in the show notes. But I was looking at the original outline on Ask Greg, and it was even more involved. They were showing up in New York City during City of Stone, High Noon. It was, um, this is a really big story. Yeah, it was so big we couldn't fit it all in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it two, two and three parters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Get a chance to do these days. I mean, I, I love doing the longer episodes because you you can really take the time to get to know the characters. Mm. You know, one of the things I've always hated, you know, is like you know the X Men the animated series was everything moved so fast. You, there was no time to, uh, for any of these characters to feel real at anything they did, because it was just, you were watching everything in fast motion, it felt like. It, uh, you, you can never really dwell on, on a face, you know, or have a, a soliloquy, you know, let the actor do his thing. Uh, and we, we, we did all that on the show. And then, you know, it made, it's made, it's made such a huge difference, I think, in, in its longevity is that we were able to do that. You love the characters on the show because we let the characters have time to do their thing. Really. I, I, I that, that's a big, that's a big issue with it. You know, so that was one of my favorite things about Gargoyles. Mm-hmm. We actually got the three and four parters. And again, this is, you know, to me, it's like we're doing this, uh, you know, it's a medieval science fiction fantasy in whatever 
falls in between all those three. Right. There's so much in this episode. There's so much going on. So many concepts are being introduced. You're laying pipe for things like the Sleeping King. We get that glance from the Magus at Catherine, that longing glance and that look of shame. That'll pay off more in the next part. But like you said, it's just so great to be able to explore this stuff and really devote that time to everything. Yeah, I mean, I think there was always an element coming out of my office particularly in, in those days of, you know, my eyes were bigger than my stomach. Almost, I mean, that's not a great metaphor, but it, it, it was like, oh, I want to do this and I want to do this and I want to do this. And then these guys would be like, those are all great things. Stop it. <laughs> you, know, um, you know, we, and we, had, we say uh, that to him now. Yeah, we really do. So, there's, there was an element for me of magical thinking that I wanted the breathing room that Frank was talking about yet. I also wanted all this stuff in the episode. Right. And so someone, um, uh, and it was usually Frank or Dennis or, or Bob, um, had to sort of, you know, whoa, paint, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. you, you got to make choices. you got to pick. And part of it is, Literally, you know, when we were doing Awakening, the, the pilot, which started as a four-parter, and uh, Frank is like, too much here. So my attitude was, I went to Gary Chrysler and said, can we make this a five-parter? Um, and Gary said, yes. And so I, I, you know, in other words, instead of learning discipline, I learned, I learned the exact opposite lesson, which was... Um, <laughs> I, I just want more. Uh, give me more. And people said yes to me. And he continued that. But that's right. after, after Avalon. I remember the classic meeting when we all sat down and said, what's next? And Greg says, we're going to do a world tour. Right. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> Every episode, we're going to a new location. New gargoyles every episode. <laughs> We're not going to be in New York. New We're backgrounds. In... And we all is like, no, what's wrong with you? What's wrong we with did you? It. We, we did, did it. it. <laughs> because I was so inexperienced that uh, I don't know how else to put it. I had the conviction of the idiot, you know, I mean, in other words, I, I didn't know you couldn't do that. So I just said, we're, we're doing this. And, um, and one thing I will say, uh, is that, um, on the one hand, Frank and Dennis and Bob did rein me in on specifics and stuff like that. But I think there was a there must have been a part of them that got caught up in the enthusiasm of it because they didn't <laughs> they didn't say no we're just not doing it greg you know other than about uh jalapeno um you know i they never sort of came to me and said it cannot be done they just you know tried to rein in my uh 
more nutty impulses or my uh, within an episode trying to do shove too much in there. Um, but I mean, you tell me, Dennis, Frank, I mean, uh, what is, why'd you even let me do what we did? <laughs> well, it, it, at, a, at a certain point, it's like, well, we got to do it because we're already into it. We can't stop. You're not going to like walk away from the show. You know, you're not going to do something, but it's just like, okay, look, we got to at least in some of the world tour shows, go back to New York to save us time. So we're not doing so many backgrounds. That was one of the things we had had to say to him. Don't forget about the guys we left in New York, you know? So we had to keep brain. Greg, you know, remember the guys, you know, there's some guys in the clock tower that that we should show them sometime just for the hell of it. Just so people remember those guys. Okay. We don't forget those guys. Yeah. Yeah, so we'd have we'd have to have one or two shows that just the clock tower. It gives our background guys a break, give our character designers a break, give us a New York location once or twice in this world tour when we're going to Paris and Japan, uh, <laughs> Africa. Uh, please, please, that's all we did. Nice. And we were worried about I mean, but there was what was going on in New York. Come on board the crazy train with me. You know, yeah, we'll yeah. have fun. You know? Kicking and screaming, we got on the crazy train. It <laughs> all chugged along. Images of watching uh, that that scene in uh, Willy Wonka with Gene Wilder. He puts everybody on that boat. I just got images of Greg in that shot and the rest of us going, ah! I, I love that reference. <laughs> Jen's just in the back over there cackling like a hyena. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's a beautiful visual. <laughs> yes. Yes. But you know what? It made the show, it helped it helped make the show that we all love today. And we'll talk about the world tours we get on that. I know it's a bit controversial, but I can't imagine the show without it. And yeah, we'll, we'll elaborate more on that when we get there. And hopefully <laughs> we'll have you two on at some point for a few of those episodes. And um is there uh, anything else we haven't really gotten to yet about this episode? Jen, do you have any th- comments on this episode that we haven't gotten to? I love that they just let Elisa shoot Sand Mage in the face. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> just right in the face. Two shots. That's my girl. I mean, that's, uh, <laughs> you know, I want to give some credit to, I know I've done this before, but Adrian Bello you know, who was our S&P executive, but who didn't treat us like the enemy. And and historically, um, a lot of S&P executives treat the producers um, or the comic book writers or whatever, like the enemy, like, what are you trying to get away with now? You know, um, and Adrian worked with us and there were things she would not let us do, but it's like, hey, it's just the, it's just sand. Yeah. You know, and she got that and she saw that um, we weren't firing a gun at a person, you know, um, and so she let us do it. She lets, uh, you know, uh, the sword cuts off the sand head. Um, uh, Bronx and Boudica uh, claw the thing apart because uh, Angela and Gabriel are being suffocated to death inside those sand monsters. And um, it's all fantasy. So why not? And again, I feel like um, 
a different sort of person on the show than Adrian um, really would have made our lives much more difficult and made the show much less interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but Adrian um, worked with us as opposed to working against us. Um, and I have tremendous respect and appreciation for that. Um, and I don't feel like she, what that, what that doesn't mean is she just, okay, whatever you want to do. It wasn't like that. We would have conversations about what we can do, what we can't do. Um, and, and so I feel like we generally speaking, um, in fact, I can't think of an example when it didn't work out this way. We, we'd all walk away feeling like, okay, I get it. I understand this decision. Um, and I can work with this. I can live with this, you know, that kind of thing. And so I, I do want to, um, I always want to sort of call that kind of thing out for, and thank Adrian for that because, uh, and I haven't seen Adrian in 20 plus years. Uh, no idea what she's doing now. I hope she's really happy. Um, but, uh, she was a huge ally on the show. Uh, um, truly. I, a couple little things. Um, one is just Elisa interests me in this episode. She doesn't have a lot to do, but she's incredibly observant yeah. in this episode. You mentioned her observing, you know, noticing Angela earlier. And I think Sally does this phenomenal job in, in, a, in very little, um, with very few lines in sort of getting across this notion of, um, curiosity, jealousy, almost like, uh, I mean, she's a detective and she's detecting. I mean, she is literally deducing things on the spot. She takes note of, um, I'm not even sure the audience yet takes note of it, but she takes note of the relationship dynamics between Tom and Catherine and the Magus. Um, Goliath is just like, you know, when Goliath shows up and Catherine says, this is more than, you know, I could have hoped for. And Goliath is so grateful. He's just like, this is more than I ever dreamed of. But Elisa is noticing that triangle. Um, and then the sleeping King line goes by everybody, but not Elisa. Yeah. And she ends the episode on, on that front going, hey, tell me about this. Um, so I, I, I mean, I love how in very little screen time, Elise is still the characterization of her between what uh, Lydia and Bryn did on the writing side and what Sally did. And then um, the storyboard artists and everything. We get all these tiny moments with Elisa that still lets her character shine, even though we're almost running past her with all these revelations and all this stuff going on. And yet she still has these little moments. She's still the shine. smartest person in the room. Right. Um, and I love that. And then the other thing that I just remember when I saw the episode last night. So the, at the very end, it says to be concluded and, you know, to be continued. And nowadays I see that more often, but I feel like back then in, you know, the nineties, I don't think I had seen to be concluded. And that I feel like was just sort of moment where I'm like, you know, we had done five-parter before and a four-parter before, and this was only a three-parter. Um, and and I felt like it's more ominous 
you know, to actually say to be concluded, um, even though that gives away the fact, okay, part three, that's it clearly, you know, because we're concluding there. But I uh, felt like uh, it gave a, you know, you've got Goliath, Angel, and Gabriel heading toward the Archmage, hoping to surprise attack him. And then you see that the Archmage knows they're coming. And then it says to be concluded. And it's like, ooh, that's not good. <laughs> um, and I, so I kind of like that. Uh, it's a little thing, but I kind of like that. She's in charge of plan B. Mm-hmm. Right. This fails. You're on deck. All right. Um, Dennis, Frank, do you have any final thoughts on this episode? I think we covered it. That was, uh... <laughs> I'll just be repeating, uh, you know, material we've already covered. All right. Well, then, um, does anyone have anything they would like to plug? Any projects? Dennis? Oh, actually, just visit my website, my um, YouTube. I'll send you the, uh, you can put my, just put my name in and YouTube, you'll find it. It's Dennis Woodyard, uh, journeyman artist, and you'll find it. But I'll send you a, a, the link for it. Awesome. You can well, thank share you. Share with your uh, Patreon. We will. We'll, we'll link it to it in the show notes. Okay. Frank, yeah, Frank, anything you want to plug right now? I got nothing. I got nothing right now. You know, nothing is kind of good sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Been a little lazy. We could use a little bit more lazy in our lives sometimes. Uh, always got to be busy doing something. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, when is this dropping? Um, the latter half of October. Okay. So by now, definitely have Dark Ages, Gargoyles Dark Ages through three, maybe four. Not too sure. A little vague. Uh, Definitely got Gargoyles, uh, the main book, issues nine, um, will has dropped already, and I would think ten would have dropped by this time, maybe, not sure. Uh, and then either it's already dropped or will soon drop is the Gargoyles Halloween special, um, which is a fun story. Um, and then I uh, am currently writing. Uh, Issue 12, which is the final issue of the Here in Manhattan arc. I've already written Dark Ages 5 and the Halloween special. And I've already written the first issue of the Gargoyle series that's going to follow Here in Manhattan, um, which I'm not allowed to talk about because I'm told it's being announced at New York Comic Con, which I'm not going to be at, but that's where Dynamite's going to announce it. this would be up but after. I can, so uh, by now, you probably know what that is from that announcement, but uh, I've written that first script. Um, and then the other thing I want to promote all year is next 4th of July in Minneapolis, uh, Convergence um, is the big 30th anniversary celebration. Uh, for gargoyles at Convergence Con in Minneapolis, and uh, so plan ahead. Um, and uh, we've got uh, myself and Tom Adcox confirmed. Other guests, uh, I, there will be other gargoyles related guests as well. Um, and uh, I'm hoping that you know lots of 
fans old and new come and, and other uh, people who worked on the show and um, we should have a really good time. I'm, uh, I'm so super excited. Me too. July 4th of July weekend, 2024 Gargoyles 30th anniversary celebration at Convergence in Minneapolis. All right. And a little self-promotion for us. Jennifer's working on some contests and raffles and giveaways. We're giving away some freebies soon. I think starting with some of the world tour episodes, we're going to get those off of the ground. She's got some really great ideas and we'll be bringing them to you soon. Great. All right. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, always good to, to see you, Frank and Dennis. You're welcome back anytime. Anytime. Thank you. All right. We'll definitely talk to you again at some point. And to our listeners, thank you for listening. Thank you to all of you. Jennifer, thank you. And to our listeners, join us next time for Avalon Part 3. You mean we went to all that trouble to get the Grimorum and now I can't even take it in with me? What am I supposed to do? Eat it? You are learning.